Thanks for joining us today at the Vine Church. We're one church with two locations and reaching around the world with the help of our online service. We exist to connect the world to Jesus Christ. If you'd like to partner with us in doing that, you can share this service with others and give by clicking the link below. For now, prepare your heart for some incredible worship and an inspiring message.
We lift you up, our God who reigns forever. church. You good? It's good to be with you guys this morning. Uh, we have a, a great week ahead of us. Um, there's forecast of snow. I don't know how many of you are excited about that. I'm excited about that. However, I have learned in Georgia, you just lower your expectations and, uh, and then maybe we'll get the, uh, the actual weather that we all desire, but we don't want to talk about because we don't want to ruin our chances, okay? So, um, so nobody go out there posting about how you're ready for snow to come, okay? Don't ruin it for the rest of us, all right? Um, so I'm excited about that. Hey, next Sunday, I'm super excited. Uh, even though we're done with this series, which makes me a little sad, uh, we have a standalone message. It's Super Bowl Sunday. And so we've got a couple of guests that are going to be with us. I've been talking about this the past couple of weeks. Uh, for the third year in, the, in a row, we have Shannon Jarvis, who is a coach at uh, Mill Creek High School. He's actually the, the recently named athletic director, and uh, he's going to be coming. And then one of his former players and one of my friends, David Green, is going to be coming. If you don't know who David Green is, he is a former quarterback at the University of Georgia. He's also a former NFL quarterback. He'll be here, uh, and we'll be able to talk to them about the influence that we have in people's lives um, through Christ and how we can leave a legacy kind of goes back to an earlier series that we did last fall called Hero Maker, where we uh, learned that uh, the ultimate calling on our life is not to be the hero of our story. It's to make other people the hero. And so I uh, really want to invite you back for that. And then our students, students are going to have a tailgate party. So that's going to be awesome. And then of course, next Sunday night will be amazing because it's Super Bowl. How many of you are excited about that? Maybe not because of the, the teams that are involved, unless you're just like anybody against the Patriots. You got, are you with me on that? Yeah. Okay, like revival's breaking out in here. That's awesome. We could just clip, pray and call it a day. Um, yeah, um, but one of the reasons I think we get excited about the Super Bowl is because of all the food we, we are going to consume, right? Can we just be honest about that? This is a safe place. It's church. And so we can be honest about that. Um, th this is a weird season of life, it seems like, because we all kind of came out of the holidays 
And then we all decided we were going to like tighten down and we were going to buckle down and get, get serious about it. I know I've shared with you our family. We, just, we, were, we were basically gluttonous for a couple of days there during the holiday season. Um, I ate a one-pound Santa Claus made of peanut butter and chocolate, you know? And so it was like stepping on the scale. Yep, one more pound. Um, I don't know how that happened. And then uh, Buckeyes. Some of you were very generous at Christmas and you made some Buckeyes for me and for my family. Uh, I ate most of them, shared some with the kids. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, and so it's sugar cookies, all that stuff. And then all of a sudden you get to the end of the year and you're like, gosh, I got to tighten down, you know, I got to get serious. And then our family, we decided we were going to buckle down with like a 26-day detox. So we started on the second. Um, if, you, if you add like two to 26, you get what? 28, 28, that's my birthday, so we're like taking a break, we're going to dive in to some um, sugar, some carbs, you know, all together, it's a good combination, and so we're going to do that together, um, but what's really cool is that my kids, um, at least most of them, they, while they've been kind of jonesing for like something sweet to eat, they have also kind of started to realize that, hey, this isn't necessarily a bad thing, I mean, but this kind of tells you the state of our house. A couple of nights ago, they were like, Dad, do you think you could make some paleo ice cream? I was like, man, we have really <laughs> progressed as a family. Like when my kids are like, hey, we need something sweet. It just doesn't have to be sugar. You know, like give us something, you know. Um, but then they're also saying, hey, once your birthday's over, we're jumping right back into the like limited sugar, you know, limited carb lifestyle. So I think that's pretty cool, right? Um, so we're getting it back. We're running the gauntlet because... Um, on February 5th, Cade, he turns 10, uh, so I'll no longer have a child in single digits. That'll make you feel old. And um, so he's turning 10. That'll be his birthday. And then two days later, Liz is celebrating her birthday. I'm not going to tell you how old she is because I was told you can't do that. She's turning 40. And um, anyway, so like, um, so like we've got that little window. And then in between is the Super Bowl. And like, I don't know about you, but I mean, when you're not pulling for a home team, I mean, I guess you could pull for the Rams because Todd Gurley's on it. You know I mean? Like, like if you're not... Like, if you're not, like, into the game, I mean, it's either commercials or food. And Americans love to eat. And, and I looked up some stats about how much food we will eat for the Super Bowl. This is, like, staggering. So 1.33 billion chicken wings will be consumed. How many of you are like, yep, I'm in that. I'm in that. Yep. Yeah, 1.33 billion chicken wings. There will be 104.8 million avocados sacrificed for guacamole. Can we just be honest? Like outside of Jesus's sacrifice on the cross, like avocados sacrificing themselves for guacamole, it's like two things I'll give my life for, right? Jesus, sacrifice, and then the sacrifice of guacamole. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Anyway, so that's good. Um, $12, bill, uh, $12 million will be spent on pizza. I'm not sure if that will include the like 70 pizza bites that will be eaten at my house um, or not. $58 million will be spent on deli sandwiches for the Super Bowl. It's <laughs> $227 million spent on potato chips. I mean, come on, people. That's a lot of like fried starch right there. Um, and then this was the kicker. This was the kicker. The, the biggest category, $1.2 billion spent on beer. Uh, so if you add up all the food and drink beverages consumed on Super Bowl Sunday, a total of $14 billion. And what that works out to is that on average, you and I, if we eat during the Super Bowl, we will consume an extra 2,400 calories, which, oh, by the way, is like a daily intake. So you're like doubling up on Super Bowl Sunday. It's really easy to just take the snapshot of like a birthday, uh, you know, food consumption, or just the Super Bowl food consumption of our culture and to say, we like to eat. And the reason that we like to eat is because we like to do what feels good. 
We like to do what feels good. If it feels good, let's do it. If it feels good, let's eat it. If it feels good, let's drink it. If it feels good, let's smoke it. If it feels good, let's look at it. Why did y'all laugh at that? Like, y'all, like, some of you are like, yeah, amen. I mean, like, so apparently haven't tried enough things in my life. I didn't get why that was funny, but uh, yeah, so like, wow, that was awesome. Um, I, I, like, I had this whole string of things and then y'all just completely ruined it because like the next one is like really serious. But anyway, like if it feels good, touch it. Ha ha ha, you know, like if it feels good, well, <laughs> if it feels good, look at it not funny. You know, if it feels good, let's listen to it. Like, that's kind of like our mantra as a culture. If it feels good, do it. And, and the reason that we have that as a mantra is because that's kind of the way our, our bodies are wired. Our bodies are wired to actually bring pleasure. And, and that's why we have taste buds. It's why we have like nerve endings on our skin. We're kind of wired in the physical to do what feels good. The problem is that when we're born into this nature called sin, sometimes we take what God wired in us to feel good and to be pleasurable or to be a gift to us, and we go way beyond that. And it gets completely out of our control to where at the beginning of the year, we have to set all these kind of boundaries and framework around these areas of our lives that have gotten out of control for us. Um, but what we've also discovered in this series is that 92% of New Year's resolutions, goals, a new name for the year, those things aren't going to be carried out. Only 8% of people are going to carry out those frameworks for us. And the reason is because we are not existing as individuals from the outside in. We exist as individuals from the inside out. We are not bodies with a soul. We're a soul with a body. And so what we've been talking about in this series is how we can experience this new thing that God wants to do, if you'll perceive it, and if you'll take hold of it, forgetting the former things, focusing on the new thing, and how God wants to do that from the inside out. The last part of the equation, after we've talked about having a new heart or a new seed of desires, after we've talked about having a new mind or new thoughts that are truths that we'll trust, truths that we'll trust, and then after we talked about having a new soul or new spirit and being renewed in the spirit uh, on a moment by moment, daily by daily basis is the fact that we need a new body. We need these new physical desires. And this is something that we see throughout the pages of scripture. And today we're gonna focus on one specific text that really points out how we as individuals were wired for these feelings and how sometimes we let those drive us when the physical feelings or the physical desires, the desires of the flesh are not meant to drive our decisions and our behavior. In fact, if we'll be renewed on the inside, we should have a proper perspective about the outside and what we do with our physical beings or our bodies. So today we're gonna to talk about having a new body. If you brought your Bibles or you've got a Bible app, I wanna invite you to go with me to 1 Corinthians. We'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Um, we'll be in the, uh, the last part of that chapter. And before we get there, um, 1 Corinthians is one of two letters that was written uh, by a guy named Paul to um, some Christians in this city uh, called Corinth. And if you take a look at Corinth and you know anything about Corinth, Corinth's a lot like our country. In fact, you can read the, the Corinthians, you can read the letter to the Corinthians and, and then you just pay attention to our news and then it's like, oh man, it sounds like if he were here today, this is who he'd be writing, he's writing to us. So there's a lot of things that are relatable and that points out just the timelessness, timelessness of the Bible 
If you're here today and you're new to church and you're new to like, um, you know, just listen to a guy talk for a few minutes or, or more than a few minutes on a Sunday, and you're like, why are we quoting or going to the Bible? It's because really, like this book, it's timeless. It's timeless in its application to our lives because it was, um, we believe that it was inspired by God through human beings to write down these words that reveal God's character, God's calling on our lives, and those are timeless in application for us. And so we're going to see that played out today uh, from this guy named Paul who's writing back to a, a church that he um, kind of directly and indirectly helped start. And when he writes back to these churches, he's trying to help correct some, some beliefs about God, but also some behaviors from people that believe in God. And you can see that all the letters that he wrote that are found, uh, that he wrote, that are found in the New Testament um, that's kind of his pattern. He wants to correct some beliefs about God and then correct some behaviors that come from those beliefs about God because our beliefs will shape our behaviors, right? Our beliefs will shape our behaviors. And so this is what he writes about our physical beings. Um, all things are lawful for me. You notice they're in quotation marks. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. That's not in quotation marks. So that's him responding to a quote from their culture. All things are lawful for me, again in quotation marks, but I will not be dominated by anything. And he starts with an illustration that we've already started with, food. He says, food is meant for the stomach and stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. Then he moves to another subject that kind of touches on this desires of the flesh, this desire to feel good. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Um, it, it, parents, um, Pedro was talking about that parent meeting that's coming up. That, like, this is why you need to be at that parent meeting, because if you haven't had that awkward conversation with your student yet, um, this would be a good like, way to, to kind of discuss a healthy way to talk about that component of this. Um, I made a joke at 915 where I was like, I'm so glad Pedro is going to be able to tell all of our kids about this, and you can, you know, I won't have to do that, you know, dirty work for him. You know, but he's going to do it for us. And like, People took that literally and seriously. That's not what that meeting is about, but it will help. It will help equip you because you are the parents. It'll help you to have this conversation. Um, but this is relevant conversation. And so he says, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Did you get that? The body is not meant for this expression, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. In other words, what he's saying here is that just as Jesus was resurrected, and it was a physical resurrection, that you and I, when we have faith in Jesus, we'll also be raised up. We can look to this promise that we will one day have a, like a glorified body, a glorified state of being in the physical. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Whoa, what was that turn in the text? Here we go. Never, or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? 
You are not your own. You were what, church? Bought. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your what? Body. Did you hear how many times the word body was used? It's an understanding that when we have proper perspective inside, it should flow to the outside, but sometimes it doesn't. And so, and so the correction for that is to, to understand um, truth on the inside. And, and so he kept saying, did you not know? Like, did you pick up on that? Like, do you not know? Because he understands that inside works outside. And so if there's something that is not in alignment with God's calling and God's character on the outside, then we, we correct that from the inside with, with our knowledge. And one of the things that Paul's, try, Paul's trying to correct here is some like cultural kind of commentary on a couple of things. The first one is this. The first one is this, it is when he says that all things are permissible. All things are permissible. And, and he says all things are permissible because theologically what we understand is that when Jesus went to the cross and when Jesus died on the cross as a substitute for our sin, that means that our sin once and for all was placed on him. So listen, everything that you've done, everything that you do, everything that you ever will do that's in the category of sin, outside of the calling and the character of God, all of that was placed on Jesus. And so if we believe that, that all of that is placed on Jesus, then what that means is that it doesn't matter what you do, you're covered by God's grace and God's mercy, right? And, and so sometimes what we do is we'll use that not as, a, not as like an internal way of thinking about life to where we respond in obedience to God and obedience to his calling on our life, but we use that as a blanket of disobedience, like a, a reason and excuse to, to be disobedient. Uh, Paul's writing in another place one time and he goes, hey, um, because of grace, do we continue to sin? And he's like, by no means, we don't press in so that grace would abound. Like we don't continue to sin so that grace would abound. In other words, God's grace, God's grace is transformative in our lives to where it frees us to where we actually have the ability to be obedient to God and to carry out what is pleasing to God. And so he, he kind of counters this like, hey, um, everything is permissible. He, he says everything is permissible. And, and um, because it is um, not unlawful anymore, and then he corrects that thinking. He corrects that thinking. And I think a lot of times, um, especially in current like state of Christian faith, like we really just go along with a lot of things uh, because of this idea of grace. And while there is grace and that, that is sufficient uh, for, um, to cover all of our sin and, and all of our shame, it is meant to free us to a new way of living. Uh, it is meant to free us to where we don't have to um, fight with the, the struggle of the flesh. And, and, he, and he gives us kind of two categories of, of things that might be a battle externally that shouldn't be there because of an internal state of being. And, and the first one is this, anything that's not beneficial to us. So he says, hey, all things are permissible because you're not under the law anymore, but not everything is beneficial. And so if you're taking notes, uh, you might want to write that down. While all things might be permissible, not all things are beneficial. Not everything that we do in our flesh is beneficial to us. And so we, we look back and we say, okay, um, if, if there is this new truth out there that um, while we are still under grace, it doesn't give us like free reigns to do everything that we want. What we need to categorize are the things that are um, not beneficial 
and the things that are beneficial for us. And so if we start to evaluate that, it really does give us a good uh, way to categorize the things in our life between the things that aren't beneficial and the things that are beneficial. He gives us another way to kind of process that while things might be um, permissible, um, while we're not under the law anymore, he says that um, he will not be dominated by anything. So his first category are the things that aren't beneficial for us. And then the second category is the things that we do that dominate us or that we belong to. And so if you're taking notes, that would be the second thing to write down. What are the things in our lives that we belong to? Because you don't belong to the behaviors of your body. And that's what he gets to. He says that actually, like your body doesn't belong to you. And that's pretty crazy to think about. He says that your body doesn't belong to you. Um, at first, our body doesn't belong to us because we didn't create our body, Right? And, um, and, and hence, we have a Next Generation event to talk about how, how bodies are created and how that happens and how we could talk to our kids about that. But, but our bodies don't belong to us because we didn't create them. We didn't create them at all. Now, if we did create them, then we would be able to set the rules and the limits. That's what happens when you create something. When you create life, you can set the rules and limits. Can I get an amen from the parents, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, like, that's what you get to do. And, and everything's cool while people are operating within those limits and those boundaries. And then the moment somebody steps outside of those limits and those boundaries, not cool anymore. Maybe that's why he says, hey, not all things are beneficial for me. They're permissible, but not beneficial. Because God set the limits. God set the limits for food and for the stomach. And, and the limit is that one day, guess what? Food is going to go away. One day, the stomach is going to go away. Like, your, your stomach's going to go away, and, and food's going to go away. And that could be sad to us because we like food, you know? But, 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 but you even see this progression work itself out in our lives where we start to lose, like, like the, the taste buds and the, and the, like, specific major sensation of the taste buds. I know this to be true because I used to not like squash, and now I like squash. Like, right? The older we get, we start to like things that we didn't used to like. Why? But because bland and nasty things, like we don't have the taste for those things anymore. We lose those taste buds, right? Yeah, and so, so we, what, what God's point out is, hey, here's the limit. The limit is food. And the limit is the stomach. It's gonna go away. Um, while, while physical intimacy and sexuality is a gift from God and, and can be a blessing to you, there's a, there's a framework, there's a limit from which we can operate in that. And when we operate in that, it's great and it's a good gift. When we operate outside of that, when we operate outside of that limit, then it can be damaging and it can be a destruction. Um, I, I love this illustration of physical intimacy. Uh, I think it helps us because culturally, I think we treat physical intimacy almost like Velcro or tape between two people. That um, in physical intimacy, we like a person, we're growing in a relationship with them. And so physical intimacy happens and it kind of brings the couple together in a new way. And I think a lot of people treat it like Velcro or like these, um, these, uh, these three M strips. Do any of y'all ever have these, like you got these three M strips? They, they promise to hang things up on the wall and then in the middle of the night, you hear the crash, right? <laughs> am I right or am I right, right? So so what this, like, what this looks like to me is like one person having like one side of the 3M strip and the other person having the other 3M strip and then they, they come together, you know? And um, it's, it's stickier than like, you know, other things. And so that's the way people view it, you know? But hey, if you ever wanted to get apart, the idea is that that's okay. I mean, it's an easy tear apart, right? And then if there's a little bit of residue, what do you do? You pull that little part, 
and it comes off the wall really easy and no residue from that. The reality is that physical intimacy is not like a 3M strip or Velcro. It's more like this. Does anybody know what this is? Super glue. It's, physical intimacy is more like this. And so what God's design was is that physical intimacy would be super glue, not Velcro, and certainly not 3M strips. It's, it's to join people together in a way that's more lasting and more permanent. In fact, in God's, God's greatest desire is that it would be, it would be lasting. And, and what happens when you try to pull things, especially flesh apart, that had been joined together with super glue, right? It's gonna hurt. There's gonna be some damage and destruction done. And the reason why is because, listen, what we do with our bodies is not just physical. It's also spiritual. Why? Because you're a soul with a body, not a body with a soul. You're a soul with a body, not a body with a soul. And so physical intimacy is this great gift to join together two people in the limits and in the framework that God designed because it's more than just a physical thing. And when God creates us, God gets to set that framework and those boundaries. When we operate within them physically, it's a great blessing to us. When we don't, it can be destructive and damaging. And when God creates something, he gets to set that. And that's why on multiple occasions, when it comes to especially physical intimacy, when he talks about how we operate outside of that limit, those limits and that framework, he says that what we do is we move from glorifying God in our bodies to glorifying other bodies. In other words, instead of worshiping the creator, we start to worship creation and we start to glorify ourselves or we start to glorify other people by not operating within those boundaries. Um, You don't belong to you. You are created by God. When you create a world and a universe and you create human beings to populate it, you you can set those boundaries. But as long as we exist in God's universe that he created, he sets those boundaries. You belong to God. Uh, The second thing that Paul um, really hammers home is that because of Jesus, like your life was bought by him. Because of Jesus um, sacrificing his life for your life, you you were bought at the price and the price was his blood. And that was a symbol of life for life. And so when he gave his blood, it was a way of saying that that your life now belongs to him. And, And just to point out that we belong to him, what that means is that he pours his spirit into us so that the Holy Spirit now dwells inside of us. And this is crazy to think about because back before he wrote those words, people thought that the spirit of God resided in one place. And what Paul writes is that the Holy Spirit now, because of Jesus, can reside in all places and all people. And so you get the spirit and 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 and everybody gets the spirit. That's what happens because of Jesus and the Holy Spirit occupies and dwells within us. And so maybe this is helpful. The things that you do in the physical, the things that you do with your bodies, would you do it if Jesus were physically present next to you? Wow, thank you. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, because that is the significance of what Paul's saying here. Would you do it if Jesus were present? And what Paul's trying to get us to know is that Jesus is fully present because he fully resides in you. He is present at all times, wherever you go, whatever you, whatever you, whatever you, whatever you, whatever you. And so our lives were bought with a price and the evidence of that is the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. 
And one thing I neglected to say at 9.15, I wish I could go back, maybe they'll watch the online service, that'd be awesome if they did, is that not only do we belong to Christ, we belong to Christ's body. And so in a really weird way, we belong to each other. And so that's why Paul was so messed up when we set outside of the, when we step outside of the framework that God set up for us to where we're, we're supposed to have this one flesh kind of mindset in the, in the framework, in the context of marriage. Like he's so messed up when we would join ourselves physically to anybody else because it's not just something that we're doing on our own, but it is impacting all of Jesus's body called the church. So we don't even belong to ourselves. Our bodies don't belong to us. They belong to our creator. They belong to our redeemer and they belong to the body. They belong to one another. And so because of this, what he says is flee. He says flee. So if you got the right mindset and it works its way out, then we flee from the desires of the flesh. And I don't know what you desire and I don't know what it is that, that maybe is permissible but not beneficial for you. I don't know what it is that's permissible but, but you shouldn't belong to it. I don't know what that is for you. Maybe for some of you, it's Krispy Kreme. And, you know, and maybe like you just find yourself taking that one route that has you going down Georgia 20 and you just kind of drive by and you're like, Lord, if you want me to stop by, let the red hot sign be lit up. Like, flee, you know? If food is something that controls us, right? If it's something that dominates us or there's certain things, just avoid aisle number 13 at Publix where all the fried starch is, you know, and all the carbonation is and, and maybe a couple aisles over or the corners, you know, where that bad things are in the corners, guys, except for the produce and the meat department. Those are good. But the other corner is not good. You know, stay away. Flee. You move by. There's, there's nothing good that happens when that thing that, that, that is not beneficial and that thing that maybe um, you belong to in the past, like there's nothing good about just walking around it and being in the same vicinity of it. You know, looking at it, inspecting it, smelling it, smoking it. Apparently y'all like that one. You know, like, I mean, like, you know, like there's not, like flee. He says flee. You just get, get away. If it's a person, that means sometimes we need to break off that relationship. If, if, it's, if it's people out of place, we don't go to the place. I mean, there's all kinds of ways this works out, but he just says, hey, here's the response. When you know the truth that you don't belong to those things that aren't beneficial to you and, and those things that have the tendency to master you, to dominate you, when you don't do that, you flee. You flee. And when you flee, you'll experience freedom. When you flee, you will experience freedom. Um, one of my favorite quotes is by a guy who, I, I, have no, I have no idea if he is a Christ follower or not. I, my guess is he's not. He's a former Navy SEAL commander. His name's Jocko Willett. He's written a couple books. I absolutely love his stuff. He's just, He's a dude. I mean, like, there's just no way around him. He's like, I don't know, that might be toxic masculinity. I don't know what to call it. I mean, he's just, I like him. I like, I like his stuff. He, he wrote a book. He wrote a book called Extreme Ownership. And in that book, he had this quote, discipline equals freedom. Discipline equals freedom. And, and when we will establish a discipline of fleeing from those things that might be permissible under God's grace, but, but really aren't beneficial for us. 
And we'll establish a discipline of fleeing from those things that have either mastered us or have that great potential to master us. Then, then it'll bring about freedom. And when we can take this whole series and when we can take the fact that we've learned in this series that change doesn't come from the outside in, it comes from the inside out. And the way that that inside change takes place is through a new heart, a new seat of desires and a new mind, a, a new thoughts that we trust because they're thoughts from the Lord and a new soul where we are renewed by the spirit of God on a daily basis, filled with the Holy Spirit. When we can take the spiritual disciplines of our prayer life and our Bible study and our joining together with other like-hearted, like-minded individuals on Sunday mornings and in connect groups, today's the last day to sign up, tomorrow's the last day to sign up. Like, like when we surround our life with spiritual disciplines, it's going to bring about freedom internally that will work itself out externally. And in the meantime, we set up boundaries and disciplines around our external while God's working out the internal. So whatever discipline you need to help you flee from the physical, God's calling you to that as a new you. One of the individuals in our church who has kind of like experienced a lot of this and in a relatively short amount of time is a woman named Kim Calhoun. If you've been a part of the Vine for a long time, you know that Kim's been here for a long time. Uh, Kim, if you have seen her over the last couple months, there's been a radical transformation in her life physically. But that physical transformation took place first because of a spiritual and uh, and, and a mental transformation as um, lies and false uh, false, um, beliefs were replaced with truths about who God was and who she was in Christ. And instead of me telling you her story, She wants to tell you her story. Let's take a look. Hi, my name is Kim Calhoun. I've been a member of The Vine for about seven years. I've battled with my weight my whole life. I remember asking my mom um, for carrot uh, sticks and tab when I was eight years old. Now, for those of you under 40, tab was uh, the first diet drink, and it was nasty, and don't go there. But so even at age eight, I knew that I was different. I knew that I was bigger and it just snowballed from there. I was big all throughout high school and I did lose the weight when I was a junior in high school, but I was uh, struggling with anorexia and um, I got really sick. And so I gained it all back plus about 40 pounds. College was big all through college. Lost the, I lost the weight again right after I got out of college, but then I broke my back in a car accident, and so that kind of stopped the uh, exercise. From that point on, I have not been thin since I was 24 years old. The kind of the catalyst for how I got started in my weight loss journey was I had gone to two different doctor's appointments. One is that I needed a kneecap replacement. I was bone on bone for about two years and it took me three orthopedic surgeons and I came to the last one and he said, well, I'll replace your kneecap, but you gotta lose 20 pounds first. And I'm like, okay. He said, it won't be successful at the weight that you are. The second was I went to a, uh, just a well visit to a physical and it came back that I was pre-diabetic to the point of almost full-blown diabetes. I was really distraught. I was very upset about the diabetes. I was very upset about not being able to get my knee surgery right away because I was in a lot of pain. And so finally I just decided I'm gonna get on my face before God. I couldn't get on my knees because my knees hurt too bad. So I was on my face prostrate before God in my closet. 
and I just lifted up a prayer to him and said, your strength is made perfect in my weakness. So here is my weakness. I lay it at your feet. I cannot do this in my own power. I need you to do it for me. And every day after that, I look to God every single day. And your body is not your own because it was bought with a price. So if you're a Christian, you're bought with a price. Jesus paid the price for that body, so it's no longer yours. And I was abusing my body. I was abusing it with sugar and gluttony and food, and I was huge. And so this was not a place that the, the Lord, would, you know, the Holy Spirit would want to live inside you. And I didn't want that. I wanted to give Him, you know, the palace. So it really encouraged me to keep going because I wanted my temple to be good for the Holy Spirit. About September, I'd lost about 75 pounds. And uh, that was when the Hero Maker series was going on. And uh, on September 9th, I remember it vividly, uh, David gave a, a, the, one of the first uh, ones in that series, and it was about lifting other people up and making other people heroes. And that's how you, you become a hero maker. And so I had been talking with a lot of friends and they were you know, interested in what I was doing. And I was sending them little emails about how I got started. And so people were all the time telling me, you need to do this. Well, when we got to that hero maker sermon, I felt like that, that God had David write that just for me. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I hear you, I hear you. I knew that I was supposed to create uh, a Christian keto community. And uh, two days later, I get this little visual um, Bible verse of the day thing. And it was clear as day, it was my birthday, and it said, it was Isaiah 6, 8, which says, and the Lord said, who shall I send? Who, shall, who will go for us? And it says, here I am, Lord, send me. And I was like, okay, I got you, I understand. Yeah, that's me, um, you need to do this. So I bought the domain name for Hunger No More, and that's K-N-O-W, and I created a Facebook group and I invited all the people that had come to me for help and said, come to my board, I'm gonna um, put all this in there. I want them to know how I got from point A to point B. It was not because of a diet, it was not because of an exercise program. It was because I'd laid my stronghold at the feet of Jesus. And I can, and the other thing is, I want people to know how their body works and how, um, why the science behind what I do works and if it works for them, great. But I really, really wanted to know the freedom that there is in Jesus and I want to share that with as many people as I can because that's what changed my life. That's what made me a better Christian. That's what made me a stronger person and somebody that's not addicted to food and not obese. And you can have that freedom. All you have to do is lay that, that stronghold at the feet of Jesus. Church, isn't that awesome? And uh, Kim's over there. Kim, if you'd just wave. Yeah, I'm going to celebrate that. And so, um, church, um, there might be some strongholds. That was the word she used. Um, maybe some things that dominate you that maybe you need to lay down and say, God, hey, in this area that dominates me, um, I lay it down. Would, would you be strong in my weakness? And we'll, we'll have a moment to do that in just a second. Um, I, I want to say that the Holy Spirit um, is, is God's evidence of wanting to be with you. And that is nothing that you and I could earn. There's nothing that you and I can do. Jesus, as we know, his, his other name when he was born was Emmanuel, God with us. 
through his death and his resurrection, he made it possible for God to be not just with us, but within us. And that is nothing of our own doing, nothing of our own merit. And so whatever we're talking about today is not so that God would love us more or want any more of us. He already wants everything from us. It's our way of responding that he is our creator, he is our redeemer, and he occupies our life. He dwells within us for those who have faith in Jesus. And so we live in response to that grace, not in an effort to earn it. So today's message and this whole series was about us living outside um, from uh, from the inside out with the truth and the knowledge that God loves us. He wants to do a new thing. It's up to us to perceive it and to behold it. And when we do, I will live into that new creation in Christ. God of creation, there at the start or the beginning of time. No point of reference, you spoke to the dark, fleshed out the wonder of life. As you speak, a hundred billion galaxies are born, and the vapor of your breath, the planet's born. If the stars were made to worship, so will I. I can see your heart in day. Every burning star, a signal fire of grace. Creation sings your praises so Don't speak in vain, no syllable empty or void. For once you have spoken, all nature and science follow the sound of your voice. And as you speak, your breath evolving in pursuit of what you said if it all reveals your nature so alive you can see your heart in everything you say every painted sky a canvas of
Lost to go. 